Hello there, citizens. I am the terror that flaps in the night. I am the floaty that will not flush no matter how many times you try in the toilet bowl of crime. I am Darkwing Duck. Telling you, please, talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. <laughs> Whatever the heck that means. After all, you are watching Intellectual Podcast with your ears. It's Monday, January 25th, and you're listening to the Intellectual Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Dawson. Thank you for joining us once again. This is episode 141. That's right. Welcome back to the Intellectual Podcast. Uh, We're on episode 141. Our guest today is two people, actually. It's Neil and Jaina Halford, the creators of the fantastic horror short film The Case of Evil, uh, local San Diego filmmakers who uh, really had a fantastic vision for their horror film. It was one of my favorite films from last year, and we have the pleasure of sitting and chatting with them. They are fascinating people. Uh, Neil's got a million stories, and... uh, we only touched the surface with them on this episode. I know they will be guests of ours again in the future, um, so it's a lot of fun. And before we get to the interview, um, this is a big week for San Diego filmmaking. On Thursday, uh, we will have Dallas McLaughlin on the podcast. He is a local comedian slash radio host slash podcaster slash actor who hosts Film in Diego the six-part television series coming from the Film Consortium on KPBS. It's all about us, the San Diego talent who are busting their asses to make films here in San Diego. It's a six-part series all about us, and uh, it's fantastic. I've seen a couple of cuts of the episodes already. Um, I myself have worked on sound on the show, and um, it's really wonderful. So this Thursday on KPBS in San Diego at 11 p.m. You'll be able to catch the premiere episode of Film in Diego with uh, host Dallas McLaughlin, who will be our guest this Thursday on the podcast. And now, sit back and relax as we talk with two fascinating filmmakers, Neil and Jaina, on the 141st episode of The Intellectual Podcast. Enjoy the mindgasm. The intellectual podcast starts now. So I'm uh, I'm your host Dave Dawson. As you probably recognize the voice if you've been listening to the show for a while, uh, we've got Kristen with us today. Yes, and Mark is hello, kind of here. Steve Schwartz didn't do his homework, so he's off watching the short film that was made by our guests Neil and Jana Halford. It's Jaina. Jaina? Mm-hmm. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Well, that's good. It's all yes. clear now, Jaina. Yes. Um, hi, guys. Hello. Thank you for, for having us on. 
Well, thanks for coming out. I've actually wanted to have you guys on the show for like a year, but it just hasn't happened. So, no worries. We're, we're glad to be here. <laughs> I'm never in a rush. <laughs> so, good things come to those who wait. Well, I hope so. I've been waiting for a lot of things for a long time. I know the feeling. Um, So we have you on uh, mostly because of The Case of Evil, which I think is one of the most brilliant films from this town in the last year or two. Thank you. And uh, I think you were robbed at the Film Awards last year. Personally, well, you know, well, um, let's get right in there. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, we, we feel very fortunate that we did well at the Fall Film Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That yeah. that when it was first out, and given that we did something that was deliberately retro, you know, that doesn't it's a little slow in the beginning, the way things would be in a period piece, and given the prejudice against um, that some people have against anything black and white, let alone more in the fantasy or horror genre. I think it's a miracle we did as well as we did at the Fall Film Awards in, that was 2014. So that, that I feel lucky about. And, you know, I, I am an artist. I've been in juried shows for many years, you know, since my college days. And it's really true that you never know what you're going to get in and what you're going to get out of. And something that can be rejected completely from one show can win awards at a more important show and then you enter the same piece and something else and nothing. So mm-hmm. you really, it, a lot of it comes down to the particular judge and jurors and uh, so many things left to chance. So um, I feel very grateful for the wins that we got. And I, and I will point out that we were at least nominated for screenplay at San Diego Film Awards. So. Yeah, we were up <laughs> against each other. Um. <laughs> well, and, and honestly, that was a little bit weird. We probably should have been disqualified from that because it was an already produced movie. And it was my understanding that that was just supposed to be for unproduced films. They weren't real clear about that. So, mm-hmm. so it, that was kind Sorry. of odd. I took the nomination thing. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we take what we get. I think that was, a, that was a new category last yeah, year. Yeah, I think anyway. it was. Uh, it was because, I, as I understood, is they were looking to have, uh, to be able to do something for people who didn't have the resources to make films themselves. And so here they, they had the screenplay uh, competition. But it was great. I mean, uh, it was, it was, it's nice to be nominated, you know, as the old, the old thing. It's nice to be nominated. Okay. No, it really doesn't really matter, you know, <laughs> your effort. No, uh, but, I've been uh, nominated for a ton of stuff and not one. Uh, what? I've I've had way more nominations than I've ever yeah. had for wins. Well, and, and uh, I, I think it's it's uh, like I say it's as Jana was saying before. Uh, it really is uh, a matter of who you get on the judging committee, how they are feeling that particular day, what other films are up against. I mean, it's just uh, you, you're never going to be guaranteed a win anywhere, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but again, as she said, whenever we won at the Fall Film Festival. Um, uh, twice, <laughs> um, uh, actually three times, uh, because we we won the audience and uh, the judges, and also we won best trailer or second best trailer. Uh, and we for, hadn't even known we'd entered that. No, so, so no, we, we didn't know that they were going to judge the trailer. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So that that's, was funny. That was it like a like, bonus. <clears throat> that's a super bonus. That's and, wonderful. And the films we were up against in our category, even in this horror and fantasy genre, they it could have just easily been the other way around. We could have been third and the other people first and second. We had some excellent, excellent colleagues with yeah. good films. I, I actually thought Coder God was going to take us. 
So Stover uh, Hill and Coder God were both uh, both showing too, yeah. and so yeah. I wouldn't have been surprised if they had won. And again, you know, different judges, different screeners, it might have been different, and, and we're very aware well, of that. The mm-hmm. thing that I always think about too is that whenever uh, uh, before I got into films and everything else, when I was in college, I took novel writing classes, and uh, we used to talk about submitting and and what's the whole process like. And a favorite story that that I used to hear back in the day was is that uh, whenever Dr. Seuss or Theodore Geisel, uh, is it Geisel or Geisel or, or something like that, um, whenever he uh, wrote Cat in the Hat, he submitted it 72 times before it was finally accepted. Whoa. Mm. Wow. Now, I, I, I just have to think about the... the um, Amount of frustration and the, the sheer gutsiness it takes to keep submitting seventy-two times. After you think about thirty or forty, most people say, "Okay, I'm probably done something wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and redo this." But he really believed in he really believed in what he was doing, and I think that was the important thing: is he knew what he had. And of course, now you have to think about those seventy-two idiots or the seventy-one idiots mm-hmm. <laughs> that got mm-hmm. turned uh, that turned it down. Exactly. He said, "We lost." Dr. Seuss, yeah. you know, but, uh, but as, as uh, my instructor at the time said, is that, you know, with a book manuscript, you really know what's not going to happen with that because sometimes you're going to, it goes through the slush pile reading process. And so you have some intern who reads it, it they don't like it, or the editor gets it and they're getting a divorce or mm-hmm. they wreck their car, or they just happen to read something that was a little bit better or, or excited them some other different way that particular day. And so, so I think it's the same thing with film. Yeah. Well, you know, at our at our two year uh, live podcast, which you guys mm-hmm. attended, um, I mentioned to the audience when I'm making a movie, I don't think about anybody's opinion, and it, it's just that same reason. Like yeah. you can't you can't worry about whether somebody else is going to like what you're doing because yeah. you have no control over that at all, and everybody's tastes are so different. Well, and also too, you don't decide you're going to make a a black and white retro horror movie from the 30s and 40s with the idea I'm looking to look, get an award. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you do it because you're, you know, you have sort of a vision of what you want to make and so whenever we were working on it is this this is the story we want to tell and, and this is this film we want to make right now and so uh, I don't think really that we ever said okay well, I, I, I have X number of film festivals in mind and awards and everything mm-hmm. else. Actually, I think some of the actors and some of the other people that are on the crew definitely had that on their minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for us, it says we just want to make this film. So. What was the inspiration? What, what motivated you to make it? Um, well, the, uh, for, for the film, I think that it has kind of several inspirations that, that went to it. Um, um, Starting with just um, simple love of the genre and the movies, you know, the classic universal horrors. And also, um, certainly for me, um, the old Twilight Zones. Um, yes. And there's a few, a few things, like when we get the plot twist in the movie, there's a few where even the camera angles, to me, look very Twilight Zone. Yeah. They are, and that was I, I always, um, a lot of the short stories I used to do were kind of like that, where they weren't you know weren't necessarily horror but there'd be that twist or something mm-hmm. and i think that's very much the influence of well you know of course there's there's writers like o henry and then there's also the the um incredible variety of stories that they told um with the twilight zone that had but but a, a typical thing was some kind of twist there 
And so um, the, I think that the base of it, um, it was just love of the genre because um, for Neil, if ever he can't sleep, he's worried or he doesn't feel well, I will find him up falling asleep in front of an old black and white movie of almost any kind. It's a comforting thing. And some of us that are old enough grew up on TV where there was something like, in San Diego we had Mona Lisa. She was, this was before Elvira, but oh. there was somebody, you know, very campy dialogue <laughs> yeah. and all. Mm-hmm. And she later went on to L.A. But um, we would see science fiction films um, that were not the best preserved. There'd be the clicks and pops and places where you could see the film had been spliced and all of that became part of the experience and part of sure. the charm. And, you know, um, when I was growing up, it was films that, you know, were not going to play in regular theaters anymore. You know, the sort of old 1950s Japanese insect fear films. And mm-hmm. and when I was very small and my older siblings wanted to watch those things, it was scary. But then I started to, when I would peek around the door and want to see things, I started to actually draw comfort and entertainment from things like, the monster has turned around, and I can see his zipper <laughs> all the way up the back or something. Yeah. Like Ed Wood style. Or, hey, I think I saw part of that costume in one movie, and then they, they, they got yeah. this from that. And mm-hmm. so, Robot monster. Yes, yes, oh, that would yes. be classic. Hey, look, Steve has joined us. Yes. Hi. How are you? All right. Yeah, Robot Monster, the ape suit with the, mm-hmm. with the bubble. With the yeah. bubble uh, helmet and... Antenna. Yes. And then another thing, and Neil can tell us about that, was um, just seeing Merrick when we saw him in a retro look. Uh, yeah, whenever the Gromits uh, actually had done um, uh, Fate, the, the Fatal Air. Yes. Fatal Air. Um, is, so several years ago, whenever they had done that particular movie, I, I'd seen Merrick in that, and I was just struck by how completely period that he looked mm-hmm. and how right he looked in that mm-hmm. outfit and a, a small bit of trivia the outfit that he wears in the case of evil is the same outfit he wore in uh the, the fatal air oh. no trench coat no uh, trench coat because we, and if you ask steve it's the same outfit he wears in the recency effect and <laughs> things happen <laughs> you go with what works <laughs> merrick's suit uh-huh. i mean yeah i've seen him yeah. uh, without the sport coat like three times right. like 97 times I've and the him. blue shirt <laughs> yeah blue well, shirt he but, uh, looked he looked just right. In we could so see him as an actor back in the day, and the same thing for our, um, the co-star for Rebecca because in this kind of film they would have picked an experienced stage actress, and so this is what I was so excited about. So when I met uh, Neil and Gina the first time at Horrible Imaginings, and I was excited about Case of Evil, and then I was helping Miguel out at the there film consortium. It, it was a, it was a Halloween yeah, event, party. yeah. And um, Case of Evil was there, and I got to see it for the first time. And I was blown away because Rebecca, this was her first role, correct? Yes. Yeah. For, first time. Now, now, prior to the film, she actually had had a career when she was younger as a singer. And she actually mm-hmm. had a couple of albums, like number one albums down in Latin America. Uh, in Latin America. Wow. I can't remember which company, uh, which country it was. Uh, but um, um, so uh, No, her, her character and her portrayal of this reminded me of an, an old... Uh, 50s, 40s, and 50s and 60s actress Maria Ospinskaya. Yes, was the immediate, that was the immediate reaction of seeing her. It's like, okay, she's that character, and so and she's going to be even more 
Sinister. And it's not an accident because Wolfman was Rebecca's favorite film growing up, and she could quote passages oh, from that's it. That, that's actually how we, when we, when we actually met with her uh, about the casting, and we sat down, and before we'd even talked much about it, uh, and she immediately started quoting lines from the Wolfman to us, and we just said, "Okay, I think we have this sewn up. I don't think we have to look any further," mm-hmm. uh, because that's exactly. What, what we were looking for in, in that part. Well, it, it was a little bit different than what we originally envisioned because our original idea for her character was going to be a kind of Marie Laveau, New Orleans, you know, Voudon practitioner. And so when we were trying to find somebody about the right age and of that description, um, Francia, our, our makeup artist, said, would you consider someone Hispanic? We could, and I said, yes, you know, maybe we could do Santeria or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so even though in some ways, you know, when you have a picture in your head of what you want, I remember thinking, well, okay, it's a little bit hard to give up the Marie Laveau image in my head, but I kind of like the added mystery of making her another ethnicity because it kind of suggests how big is this mystery? You know, how, how far outside of this immediate circle does this mm-hmm. legend go. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I think that was actually a really good thing, a really good thing that worked out. And one thing that I want to say, I also say that I'm, I'm actually very proud of, and it wasn't something we necessarily set out to do or wasn't really an agenda that we had, but I'm very had, uh, glad that we had an older African-American gentleman and a, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and a Hispanic uh, older uh, uh, female lead. Because you don't you don't see that in films very mm-hmm. often, no, and particularly don't. not in the people that are making shorts out there. They're often young folks that are right mm-hmm. out of college or whatever. And so, I, I'm I'm privately very proud of the fact that that we did something that was not only ethnic, eth- ethnically diverse, but also we weren't casting teenagers. You know, and this is true. Well, for the period that it was going on, and the stylization that you had in the film. I mean, you cast a teenager and you're just pulled yeah. out of it immediately. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked exactly. either, but mm-hmm. exactly. One of the things, I, the first, my first reaction was that this is, um, you know, old uh, Columbia shorts uh, department stock that you were using because I was looking, you see all the little threads in it and all the little pops and dropouts yeah. and, and the scratchy, yeah. scratchiness of the like, audio. Yeah. It was just... Scratchiness. I thought, oh, okay. And also, even the Art Deco. Yeah, nothing was overlooked. Yeah, even the Art Deco uh, credits in the beginning. So it was... It, it was... Well, it's kind of funny, because the, the very first thing that got done, even before the script was done, we had the opening credits. Uh, because yeah. I had actually started off uh, just kind of screwing around with uh, an Art Deco uh, 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 title. And I had originally had a different title for it, and Jane is actually the one that, that named it. Um, uh, but uh, I can't even remember now what the original title was. It, um, it had the word Hellhounds in it, and you. Oh, no, 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 Shadow of the Hellhound. And you were concerned that that would be too, that would be too <laughs> leading a thing, and so mm-hmm. we were in the car together. So I just started saying things, and somewhere down the list, I said, "The Case of Evil," and he liked yeah. that one. And that we works. went on and thought of other things, mm-hmm. and then went back to it. And it's, it's very that period because you can just you know uh, the, the Case of Evil sounds sort of Sam Spade, and it's just. Fairy that period. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Touch of evil, yeah. Um, speaking of the title, um, I think it might have been Steve. Or no, my, maybe it was my brother-in-law. Someone suggested to me, and I, and I was told I had to make sure I brought it up with you on the show. All right. Um, you need to set up a, a cafe press store or, or an Etsy store or something like that. 
and put the Case of Evil logo on phone cases. On oh, yes. Phone cases? So okay. it, would be the, it would literally be a case of uh, evil. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so I, would, I would, cases, I would buy know. one for my phone. That's totally awesome. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> can do that. I can do that. That'd be amazing. I'll this evening. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Neil's good Beautiful. at tying products, um, Yeah. But no, that's brilliant. No. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, but, and the thing that I, I love about it, too, is because it actually ends up, when you, when you think about it, it actually works in several different, there's the case, as in sort of the physical case of the guitar case, right. mm-hmm. uh, but also it's the, the case of, yeah, you know, like a of, private eye exactly. kind of thing or whatever, and so so I actually loved a lot of the resonance that we sort of got out of that particular title. Um, but, um, no, I, I uh, it was... Uh, whenever kind of going back to when you were talking about sort of where did the where did it come from and, and sort of how did we decide to do it, um, uh, it has a couple of origins going back to long many many moons ago. Uh, whenever I was working at a radio station, uh, my buddy and I had a a uh, radio drama series that was pretty much like Twilight Zone on the radio called Uncharted Regions, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm hoping to revive that at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, We've been wanting to do a radio show yes, style podcast, definitely. And so, um, so anyway, we'd had an ep- one of the episodes uh, that I'd written was actually had something to do with the blues, and it was called "Someday Over You." Um, and so, it was unfortunately an episode that I got cast or written. It was cast, and then right before we were going to cut that episode. Uh, Kind of, we all went separate ways. I was went off to college, and some of the things happened. Then we never got that particular episode done, and so it's been sitting in a drawer for years and years. Um, then, um, also, I don't know if you ever saw the old movie Crossroads, not mm-hmm. the one with Britney Spears. <laughs> I don't think any of us at this table yeah, have seen that one. Um, I have. Dave, you're not supposed to admit that. I the that. snarl on his face there, but, but um, <laughs> anyway, but but anyway, there was there was a, a really dreadful movie uh, called Crossroads that Ralph uh, with Ralph Macchio, and it was it was basically about selling your, your soul to the devil, devil yeah. and uh, the whole thing about being uh, the only thing problem I had, or the main problem I had with that, that title was, is that if you sell your soul to the devil, this movie should be scary. And it was mm-hmm. anything but scary. It was uh, uh, scary. It was kind of goofy and mm-hmm. and and what have you. And so that idea kind of stuck in my head for years. And then back in um, about 2007, Jane and I, when we were first starting to get into the idea of let's make films and let's do some stuff together, uh, I kind of went back to that idea. I went back to sort of the Sunday Over You and, and that idea from Crossroads. And I said, let's take this and turn this into a web series because we said maybe we'll do a series of, of uh, uh, a series of, of these and then go to the house of blues and sell them as something that they could put on their website. So there's original content mm-hmm. that's driving people to their website. And so we created a web series called scratch. And so um, the, uh, unfortunately in the long run, we weren't, weren't able to end up making it because it essentially was a road picture and it was way beyond what we were going to be capable to kind of bite off to get started with. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, some of the elements of that story ended up mutating into the case of evil. Uh, And so now, if we ever were to go back and try to redo Scratch, this would effectively work as a prequel to that series. It it definitely ties in. Scratch would be contemporary blues horror with occasional flashbacks. 
And so, um, you know, where you see the history of, mm-hmm. you know, the, the particular curse and everything that was going on. And so, yeah, it absolutely would, would tie, in, tie in with that. Um, so that was something, you know, because sometimes, I'm sure this is something that the other filmmakers in the area could relate to. Sometimes you can't make the whole movie, but you can make a slice of something. Right. And this is something we might consider for radio drama, too. Yeah, well, it would it would probably lend itself. That's actually one of the things that whenever I was editing, I was actually struck by is that at one point I was closing my eyes and it carries pretty well just off the audio. Mm-hmm. We would have to go in and add some special effects and a little bit of narration in a few places mm-hmm. to to make some of it work. But it actually surprised me how well it worked as almost a radio drama. And I think that's my radio background coming. <coughs> Which is wonderful. I love <clears throat> I love the um, the evolution of how these ideas come to fruition, and I love I love that you have all those aspects too that you can add to it. So I, I think radio would definitely work, absolutely. Um, and especially because the Blues Horror series, I mean, it would be expensive to produce. There'd be locations, there'd yeah. be talent, there'd be finding talent that can play certain instruments, and you can get around a lot of that if it's all audio. But mm-hmm. yeah, I noticed what Neil was talking about when he was editing, because you know I'd be in another part of the house, but I would hear. The audio, and I would think, wow, and I, this really would work. It, and again, just a few adjustments, and it, it, it surprised me how much it did because when you are making a film, you think so much about the visuals. And we're very talky, which again is part a part of a period thing, you right. know, especially for the radio. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's helpful if it is. Exactly I don't know. A visual um, art, is it? Um, uh, well, but, you're creating the visuals. That's the yeah. beautiful thing about radio is that. Um, I remember when I was going around and to my senior communities that I was working with and we were doing radio shows and that was one of the things that connected them back to their memories, but it was a way to, it was a way to give them a visual without putting something in front of them. They Mm. were creating it. We were creating doors slamming and horse, you know, horse hooves and it's radio is so, it's such a great way of, you know, being able to entertain and, you know, be able to create your own images yeah. Well, I, I've I've always loved this as a medium. I mean, it's part of the kind of a kick being on a podcast and, and everything else, because again, I, I think find audio to be much more personal in a lot of ways. And because when all you're doing is focusing on the sound of somebody's voice, and I think you listen a lot more closely to what people actually have to say, if you're not being distracted by the visuals and other things that are going on. It's very interesting since I've started the show and since the audience has been growing, it's been interesting seeing kind of a dividing line in the tastes of our audience by age. Um, there are, there's a certain age where if you're younger than that, they're clamoring for us to move stuff to video. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they want the interviews in video. It's gotta, where's the video podcasts? We mm-hmm. want to see the people. We want to see the people. Mm-hmm. Keep telling them. Mm-hmm. The so visual, picture. The visual is not super important. It's what they're what saying that's fun? important, right? You know, like, you take pictures with people. but but yeah, exactly. you know the you look at the young people today. They've got video so readily available in their hands. Yeah, you and, know they FaceTime one another. They and know, that ability, sending animated gifs at each other. It's just well, I, you know, I, I do think you know for a lot of people the audio thing starts ideally with somebody reading to them when they're a small child and Mm -hmm. that ability to form pictures in your head or to get by with your imagination and not seeing that has tremendous implications for reading comprehension and so many other things so um you know i do understand that 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 
that the younger you go, the more people expect to see something. But well, the, mo- also- the more they're being raised on TV, or yes. now now their iPads and their. Well, See, I would have thought my, my generation had so much television, people would say yeah. that about us, but Baby somehow, yeah. yes. Well, yes, but we grew up... But you only had three channels. Yes. That's what I was <laughs> yeah. just yes. We had three channels. Right. And when I was in New York, it was, what, two, four, five, seven, nine, eleven, and 13. Yes, yeah. we had UHF. Yeah. We had, UHF. You, had, you had UHF, uh, New Jersey, they, they um, didn't allow it past Pennsylvania. Mm. I'm a little older than Neil, so I can remember well, that. Well, we had we knew that UHF was there. It was just that we can't get anything on it. Well, the PBS station was on the UHF channel, so that's why I discovered it. But actually, growing up, um, I got a little less perfectly enculturated than a lot of people. A lot of what I know about popular culture came a little bit late because... Um, I was from a big family, and we had music lessons and dance lessons, and we had three sets of encyclopedias, but we didn't always have a working television. And we would have family meetings about how to spend money, but for some reason we wanted to get instruments or go to Disneyland or do other things. And so we didn't always, for a while it got one channel, and I could go to a friend's house if there was something I particularly needed to see. But I don't think I missed anything. The only thing was I realized by the time I was in high school that I was a little bit more of an outsider than I'd planned on being because I hadn't grown up with everything else. But I wouldn't change it going back. I think that was a good thing, and I think um, a lot of um, a lot of there were a lot of pluses to that. So I hear about some people trying to raise their children a little less plugged into everything than everyone else, and I think I think that's actually not a bad thing for people to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She'll tell you this. But at the same time is if she sees she has an almost photographic memory. And Mm -hmm. so any given television program that comes on, particularly if it's an older television show or a movie or what have you, nine times out of ten she will know who's in it and (coughs) and tell you what movies, whatever. And I'm probably the film buff in terms of the person that spends all this time watching films between the two of us. Uh, but she, anything she sees once, she will remember for the rest of eternity. And so she's, she's my my living IMDb. (laughs) I I was the, I'm the exact same way in my house. My brother will grab something, roll it up and smack me on the head saying, you're not supposed to know that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it is, it is a little weird. It's actually made me selective about, about um, what I see or read to a certain point, just because there's a great line from the play Ella Massonary, where a woman that has an excellent memory, it's about like three generations of women that are spelling bee champs and all that strange little like theater in the round thing. But there's a great line about not wanting to add anything to the monument. <laughs> but but um, I do have... I do have pretty good recall, particularly for things I've heard for dialogue. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I remember that. But I don't have a photographic memory, or I would have, you know, really aced school completely. But, <laughs> <laughs> no. but that's, that's why when, I'm, when I was learning something growing up, I would often read it to myself. So it would go into, into my head, and my mother thought I was praying or something. Now, if no, you I'm caught sorry. me at 12 uh-huh. uh, and asked me about Star Trek... I would have beat you all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm an old man now, and so so I'm, I'm, I'm not nearly so handy in that regard. 
Where, where did you all grow up? Oh, uh, so where all did I grow up? Well, see, um, you know, uh-huh. I'm, uh, I'm putting my accent back on here because I'm not originally from around here. Yeah, uh, I grew up in in uh, in a little town called uh, uh, Sand Springs, just outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so, oh. whenever people ask me, I say Tulsa because no one knows where Sand Springs is. Yeah, my my brother in law and my cousin both uh, grew up in Broken Arrow. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so. Uh, but uh, anyway, I grew up in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, spent. Uh, I uh, went to college in Norman, so go Zooners, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a football fan, so that's kind of lost on me. Did you um, see that ludicrous display but, last night? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but, uh, well, I really hated the Sooners because they would steal my parking on every Saturday. And so, <laughs> so my choice was either stay home on Saturday or wait until the game was over before I left my apartment because I wouldn't be able if I can't if I left and came back I couldn't get a parking space. Right. Um, so uh, anyway, but uh, I I loved uh, I loved OU um, and it was kind of funny though because I had actually three days after I graduated from high school is whenever I, I started my radio job and so whenever I finally ended up going to OU uh, and I took my broadcast classes there it was kind of well. Uh, elementary because uh and also too i had better recording gear in my house than they had at the school i had the same problem when i went back to school at palomar to study radio and television i'd already been working as a corporate audiovisual tech for like six or seven years i owned my own xl1 at the time i had final cut 1.0 and mm-hmm. <laughs> I went to school and I was teaching the teachers how to use Final Cut. And <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that, that was sort of sort of the situation I was at yeah. because we'd have they say, "Well, your assignment is, and you're supposed to cut this commercial," and and, and they, you know, uh, all the rest of the other students were just really stressed out. And I go, Pfft. and I'd go home and I'd knock it out in like ten or fifteen minutes, and I was done. Yeah, and I didn't have to go share lab time with everybody else. Yeah, and so uh, so I had kind of an uh, unfair advantage there, I guess. Um, but uh, anyway, so so that's uh, so that's where I am from originally is Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then you you know, Jana has a slightly more unusual story about where she comes from. Well, I grew up in San Diego, but I wasn't born here. I was born in Japan, oh. and uh, I know that always kind of surprises me. In the early days of the of chat rooms and stuff, I would say where I was born, and people would picture some tiny little Asian girl, which. I'm definitely not, but <laughs> <laughs> she is not at all. Uh, she's she's five foot ten and blonde. So, <laughs> but um, anyway, I grew up in San Diego. I went to college at Cal State San Bernardino. It was a small college, especially back then, and oh, yeah. I majored in art. I did a trimester there. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And it was a great place. Well, it was almost like being at a frontier school back then because it wasn't near as built up, and it was very windy there. And you know, with my, I was really thin then, and. To carry a great big painting or a drawing pad through, you know, heavy wind, it was like the sail in the mast, and I learned to tack myself into the wind and all. It was was um, was really a, a wonderful experience. I'm really glad I went to school there, and they had um, a big library. And even after I graduated, sometimes if I had to research something, I'd go back to that library because I knew it so well. So anyway, um, I, I I majored in visual art, and I also studied art history, and I really enjoyed that. And you you started the art page at CSUSB's paper and yes there was um they I actually in my when I was about to start my junior year um, the new editor of this student newspaper asked if I would originate a, an a, an art column so I had a page or more a week about art and I was always going to Los Angeles and the nearby places so I I um, got good pictures and 
I really enjoyed doing that. And then after I graduated, I parlayed that into writing for Art for the La Jolla Light for a while. And I enjoyed that. And uh, so anyway, we, we both grew up liking creative things. And, and then when we met, this was a more unusual way to meet, you know, more than 20 years ago. But um, we met on America Online, not, not in a dating chat, but just in one for writers, and it's a night writer's chat room. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was that sounds so cool. This, it was, was, this was when chat rooms were, were 10 cents a minute. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. We, no, we were no. paying six bucks an hour. Six bucks an hour. AOL. 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 Wow. I yeah. seem to remember. AOL. Wow. Actually, yes. actually, I think for me when I started, it was like two ninety five an hour, but it added up. And get a bunch of writers, and oh my goodness, you'd get dizzy because the, 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 it would be scrolling. The, the screen would be scrolling. AOL chat rooms is where I learned to type fast. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because you, yeah. you had to. You had to. Uh, <laughs> it's the only way you um, keep in the conversation. It's expensive. And it's, um, it was funny, though, because, you know, like I said, I, I was paying, I think, two ninety five an hour, but then... After Neil and I got married, right afterwards, they went to, they took away the monthly fee. I think somehow they knew they'd never have it that good. Yeah, no. yeah, because yeah. um, because at, of course, I bounced around. Uh, you know, I uh, graduated, when I graduated from, waited from the University of Oklahoma, uh, six months after that, I got a, a job uh, working at a computer game company out here in Woodland Hills, or actually in, in, I was in Van Huys because the company was in Woodland Hills. And they took you because they saw your scripts for your radio drama yes. you'd done. Yes, it all comes around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, the, but yeah, the between my radio drama scripts that I had written for Uncharted Regions, plus all of my Call of Cthulhu uh, uh, role-playing modules, yes, I'm a nerd, people. No. Uh, <laughs> love Cthulhu. Um, Carry you would have loved, yeah. Uh, my parents had a comic book and game store in San Clemente. Oh, cool. And it was all fantasy role-playing. We had a special room mm-hmm. right off the side. Everybody, mm-hmm. it's like, there were times on the weekends where we would be open 24 hours because they would have marathons oh, yeah. of uh, fantasy role-playing. You know, I, I, I came Call up... Cthulhu and... Call of Cthulhu and Dungeon Dragons and RuneQuest and all of that good mm-hmm. stuff back in the day. Um, but, so... Based on that stuff, I ended up uh, in uh, in the L.A. area. I was there for about two years, uh, bounced up to Eugene, Oregon, was there for three, and then um, after we finished the big game that I worked on up there, um, uh, after the they they had kind of uh, after we we finished our first game, it was kind of a weird story because um, I'm going to blow a horn here a little bit. Uh, I worked on a game called Betrayal at Crondor. Um, uh, which was a pretty well-known RPG for its time. It was based on the works of Raymond E. Feist, who was a big-time fantasy author. Um, and so uh, we had adapted his his game. And uh, but after uh, after we were finished with it, um, we kind of told them it says, "Don't expect our game to be, to be like the rest of the Sierra Online games," because Dynamics was part of the Sierra Online family. And we said, "Your games ordinarily they go out, they sell like crazy for a month or two. And then you know uh, they drop off, or, or, or they, 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 sell, they sell like like really crazy, uh, like a huge number of units, 
uh, and then they're gone after about five or six months. And I said, role-playing games don't sell that way. They'll go up, they'll spike, they'll fall back off, and they'll sell steadily for, us, uh, for about three years. You need to look at that. That's the way this game is going to sell. We told them that in advance. These were the games back then when you had a stack of seven three-and-a-half-inch floppies. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and you had your choice about whether you had the five-and-a-half or the three-and-a-quarter. Oh, that's true. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, and Condor came out the year of the CD-ROM. CD-ROM. And, that's, and so, yeah. so it exploded because we were the only RPG on, on CD-ROM. And so the, the sad part about it was is that uh, so, so it came out, it did exactly what we told them it was going to do. Uh, but they, they didn't see that gigantic spike they were expecting it was doing because they were expecting it to sell like King's Quest or some of the other games they had. They said, okay, great, we're going to cancel it and, and lay off the entire team. So they laid off, uh, they la- laid off my boss, they, laid off, uh, they took the rest of the team and they sent them to other parts of the company. And I was, for a long period of time, I was the only person in my corner of the building and I'm just going, they're going to fire me. You know, and, and so I'm, I'm spending every day at a whiteboard in my office, which is just the entire wall of my office, just all day long, coming with every insane idea for a game I can think of, because I'm just desperately trying to stay there. And so finally, at one point, they came back to me and said, uh, yeah, we've noticed that the sales have picked up kind of dramatically, and so maybe we want to make a sequel to this after all, uh, but we want you to do it for uh, a third of the budget and half the time. Mm. <laughs> wow! Wow! Gosh! How nice, nice for you! Yeah, confidence builder right there. We love you so much. We're going to pay you less. Yes, <laughs> and, and, so, and we want to basically take a, a game that's now doing extremely well and is now a hit for the company, and we want you to basically do a bargain basement version of uh, for a second one as a follow up because that's the first thing you do whenever you make a successful title. Uh, anyway, um, long story short is is that uh, uh, ultimately I told them no because I said this is not going to be sustainable and I said if we do this the fans will be pissed off at us and also I, at this point I've I've been kind of co lead on stuff but I've never been the guy in charge of the entire thing and I said I'm not comfortable in being you said you fired the the person uh, <laughs> that that you need he's gone he's already gone off to another company and so. Uh, anyway, so I said, well, I'm going to go back to Oklahoma for a while because my father had, in the intervening years, uh, had uh, 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 he'd come down with cancer. And uh, I honestly didn't know how long he was going to live or, or if he was going to okay. Now, he was in at this point uh, in remission. Everything was cool. But I'd promised my parents after I'd moved out to California the first, I said, if I do really well, I'll move back after a certain period of time and live back in Oklahoma for a while. And so I did that. Um, and it was during that time period after I'd moved back to Oklahoma, uh, that Jane and I met, uh, in, uh, the, the Knight Riders chat on AOL and it will have been 21 years in May since nice. we met. Wow. And so we got married a year later. So anyway, long so, story. So, so yeah. you guys are... Like the second couple we've had on the show who oh yeah the met Kilnas. online because the Kilnas That's have a fairly right. similar story yes yeah. they do That's right <laughs> it seems like all the all the awesome minds in this town just come together in chat rooms and late at night talking about all these wonderful ideas that just That's awesome. some real pervs no, yeah that too I didn't I didn't want to say anything Neil but you said it not me genius perv it's a thin line Things were different back then, too, because you could send someone a GIF if you wanted, but otherwise people didn't know what you looked like. 
And so I actually think that wasn't a bad way to meet, to get to know somebody, uh, you know, in it their was, mind before mm-hmm. then. The oh, it's best beautiful. thing that ever happened to me, because, see, I couldn't, whenever I was in high school, I could not get a date to save my life, you know, or, or whatever. And I was really shy. I'm just not necessarily always great about talking to people, you know, particularly if, I, if you're an attractive woman. If you ever saw uh, The Gods Must Be Crazy, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. Totally me. You were a um, tall skinny black guy? Yeah, I was a tall skinny black guy. <laughs> you know, I, I've changed a lot over the years. Oh. Exactly. And she used to be a tiny <laughs> Japanese woman. Yes, so exactly. you guys are perfect exactly. for each other. <laughs> Way to bring it around there, uh, Angie. Um, uh, but, um, but no, that, that was an awesome... I think whenever that happened, it was really great because uh, it really allowed... A lot of people to kind of go there. You don't. You're not worrying about what other people look like and everything else, and you just have this awesome thing of sharing ideas. And it's how I started to actually break out of my yeah. shell. Was the chat rooms in the yeah. in the mid '90s? Yes. Yeah. And it's the sad thing about it is, is we're seeing that fade because more and more stuff's being like become video oriented, and the yeah. fact that I want to see your face, I want to do whatever, and it says, "Can we just talk and get to know each other?" You know, what's wrong with like? Like mind to mind, what's what's wrong with that? Why do people have to do that? Whatever. So well, that's why I started the podcast. I mm-hmm. just I just want to be able to talk to people. Yes, and get to know them. Right. You know, and it's like we all see each other on the screen, or we see each other at parties, or whatever. But now, of course, no, I think you know. we should make make very clear: we don't have any problem with video because obviously this is something that we're passionate about. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, heavens, I mean, we'll I, I time I, and place. Time I, and yes. I majored in art, and I. Uh, do Pinterest and you know I'm very visual but no I think as far as making friends or getting to know somebody it's not actually a bad way if you get to know their mind first it's it's not a bad way to meet and she's had her photography shown in international shows too mm-hmm. oh really yeah. she's very shy about it so it's, it's, it's she's she, see, yeah, I'm, she's I'm, gotten super quiet I'm the, no I'm, <laughs> I'm the one that goes around with the, the drum and bangs it real loud and says hey we're over here and she's the mm-hmm. she's She's a lot more modest, and so I have to be the one that does that for her sometimes. And I and it's I I have to, and also Neil's the one that's usually have the time to to promote and everything. But a downside of that, he's very good at it. I Translation, mean, I'm, I'm extremely lazy. Well, my <laughs> my my, you know, most of my jobs, Amen, most of my jobs have involved marketing, and I believe Neil's just naturally good at marketing. But a downside of that is, I've had people come up even people that should know better or that I thought knew me come up and congratulate me on Neil's movie or something. And it's like, I did have something to do with it. And I didn't just make the cupcakes, you know. So, um, <laughs> so I, we, we have to deal with that some. But. Yeah, well, I, I tell people all the time, it says, you know, she makes it possible for me to get the films, you know, done and everything else because we split the duties up. And um, what, uh, in Jaina's other profession, she's a trade show person and which means that she knows logistics inside and out and if you mm-hmm. want to figure out basically okay we need to do x on this time she's really great about being able to figure out what do we need to be able to do to backtrack so she's a perfect producer well that's you that's know. my sister's duty in in our side of things because mm-hmm. we've worked in trade shows and mm-hmm. corporate audiovisual for so long mm-hmm. it's like scheduling stuff like mm-hmm. she can do it with her eyes closed like and if you need people and equipment in a given place at yeah. a certain time well, you, she you, knows you how do to it. do all that logistics it's all great i don't have to think about it mm-hmm. <laughs> and every script you know every script that i've or every, everything i've written honestly since we've gotten married at some point has gone under her eyes and and had various you know uh edits or, or whatever that's taken place with it or whatever and so and it's because i trust her completely she's uh she's the my the, the person i've trust most to tell me you know okay 
this isn't true. True, you haven't researched this. Uh, you know, I, I'm probably annoying at times, but he's too nice to say it. But the first thing we really worked on together was. Um, I had worked in book publishing before I met Neil. I had worked for five or six years, and I had been hired as a copywriter or to, to, to develop marketing campaigns and all. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd done direct mail before, but I hadn't. I'd just mailed stuff, but, you know, I learned how to do it right. <laughs> I learned how to do it right there, and it was very much a, you know, bottom line thing. If, 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 if we were a specialty publisher, so if orders didn't come in, money didn't come in, et cetera, so... Um, it was a very good experience to have, and that's also when I got addicted to trade shows because the company went international, and I was younger and wanting to travel, and I still do, but I ran downtown and got a passport and waved it around. Pretty soon I was getting to do shows overseas when the company went international, so that was great. But anyway, I knew something about the publishing business, and so when I met Neil and I found out about game development, I recognized it was the same process. It was publishing. And then he was he wanted to do a book about the creative side of computer game development specifically role playing games and so he wrote a book proposal and i read it and i said you're going to sell this because this is the most entertaining book proposal i've seen in a long time so it got accepted by a publisher and he started working on it, but then you also got game work. We'd, yeah, we'd been needing I, something. Because yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd been out of work for a little bit, and so at the same time, uh, at the same time, I'd done two things. I'd sent in the book proposal, and I was also talking to my buddy Chris Taylor, who worked at Gaspard Games, and so they were they were ramping up for the game Dungeon Siege, and so as fate would have it, both of them came through at the same time. And so I'm like, oh, crap, I'm writing a 500-page book and also writing all the story and dialogue for this new game that's coming out. So, and I, I don't um, think Neil would mind me saying, you know, he's trying to do all this. So, so the publisher is starting to get a little bit nervous, and, you know, he had the book outlined, he had all the chapters and everything, and they started to talk about getting a co-writer for him. And I knew that the wonderful humor and entertaining quality in the proposal he'd written would not get sustained if somebody else came in from the outside. So I talked to Neil and I said, would you consider having me help you write it? Because one thing, all those years of corporate writing, I did a lot of newsletters and stuff too, and I've been the voice of different CEOs. Something I do have the ability to do as a writer is if I've heard someone speak, I can write as if I'm them. And that's really important with CEOs because this is not something they like people to know, but a lot of them can speak extemporaneously, beautifully, but they can't sit down and write, or, or they're not going to take the time oh, anyway. But, or yeah. some, but a lot of them, especially if they come from a sales background, oh, yeah. they, they don't, they're not really oriented towards putting words down. So I could, if I knew, if I'd heard someone, a CEO speak, I could write for them. So I, I said, you know, I'll write in your voice. And, you know, we looked through the chapters and figured which ones I could handle you know, history of role-playing games, marketing, things like that. So we started dividing it up. Initially, I think I was just going to write one chapter, but we kept going. Yeah. And I did more. I think you ended up writing four? Four or five, Three, yeah. three, three or four of the tra- chapters um, in the book. And I also injected some of your personal stories and stuff about stuff, yes. which actually he originally was surprised I wanted to do that, but he went with it. And 
later when it got used as a textbook at some of the schools where they teach game design and all the students said they really loved the stories so yeah. so um, that's that's part a, of a lot of my stupid you know D and D stories you know <laughs> uh, about just some stuff that happened in our groups and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that and we had them as sort of sidebar you know little things uh, basically trying to illustrate various points about gaming and and talking about dynamics with, with groups. I think that's, it, it, that's I think that's really I think smart amazing well, yeah. they start that's when it's, they start with pen and paper. Stories. Someone at the door? Hello? Okay, we have someone at the door. Yeah, we do. Come on in. Hey, how you doing? It's Lori. She's here for her. Hi, Lori. Lori's just joined the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) She's on deck. Lori also brought my favorite beverage, alcohol. Yeah, the stories show how games evolved from, from, you know, the pen and paper on to the earlier, you know, the, the simpler, the simpler um, computerized games, etc. But, um, and also I tell people, if nothing else, Neil knew that I was listening to him all those years when he oh. would talk about these things. and Which is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but, but a sad little side story here is that when the the publisher did a lot of stuff about programming and things like that, but this was, you know, about the creative side of games. I mean, it talks about working with programmers and all, but it's about creating a world, world building, all of that. And so I thought, oh, great, when this book comes out, some people, particularly some relatives, like when we go back to Oklahoma, would want to talk to Neil as if he dreamed in code. And I mean, you know, it's not that he's unfamiliar with that stuff, but that's not what he's all about. You know, he's not, he's more of a storyteller than a, than a programmer at heart. So I thought, oh, great, when this book comes out, people will see, you know, it's the creative side, et cetera. So, well, where did they put it in bookstores? In the computer game section. Well, they put it in the programming section. <laughs> in the programming section, section yes. Uh, which so, was frustrating, because there's not a single line of code in it. No. Um, <laughs> and so... No, um, but anyway, it was, it was a good experience. And so, really, most of the things we both worked on, we've helped each other with over the years. Yeah. And so... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's done. just, I, I just think that that... Yeah. I think that that one of the the big lessons you know that that we try to give people says if you're going to marry somebody, marry someone who is going to be creative and, and is going to understand you. You know, uh, because I, I think it's very difficult for. That's why I've been single do. for so long. <laughs> well, you'll find her. Well, you know, AOL yeah, is still out there. There you go. Um, it's like a ghost town. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's well, I, I guess I don't think they have the chat rooms anymore. It's just an email. I, I, I still have the same email address I've had since 1993. See, now wow. I would have, I, I would That's have done impressive. that. I would have done that, except my access to AOL was get one month free. Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, that's expired. Next disc. The great thing about it is, though, is, is what's, what's actually what's sad is, is I think that somebody should go find all of those AOL discs that were stuffed everywhere. Like, like they were in, everywhere. They were back everywhere, then. and mm-hmm. you could probably build a village with those. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the AOL um, house. house. <laughs> you, you, had, you still had a uh, an AOL account. I email? still have oh, wow. an AOL. I still have my AOL account, and the only reason I even have that AOL account is because uh, I had been on. First CompuServe uh-huh. back oh, in the days when it was twenty five bucks an hour in nineteen eighty five. Whoa! 
So we're talking $85. Wow. Uh, and then, of course, later on, a Genie, which was cheap at six fifty or whatever. And so I had a yeah. Genie. Their access was really uh, slow. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, but, George, George R. Martin was on Genie. twice as fast as regular mail. I was the Genie, uh, the Genie stuff because the Genie boards were all where all the science fiction writers were on. Because George mm. R. Martin, a bunch of other people. Back before he was... Mr. Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of the science fiction fantasy authors were all hanging out on Genie. So that was Did he write good. super slow back then, too? <laughs> <laughs> Only because of the baud rate. Well, had nothing to do with, with coming out with the story. It yes. just, every single time that you hit a key, it would just take forever for it to appear on the screen. I, so I, it was just, yeah, I, type really slow. I, I lived in an era in which 300 baud, that was my first modem, was 300 baud. Yeah. <laughs> Fourteen forty was my first. Yeah. 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 Oh, I still have, what was your first? <laughs> I still have my. Uh, I remember. I remember salivating over a twenty-eight eighty. You know, I'm still friends with several people from the old days on, on yeah. America Online. That's uh, wonderful. Actually, there's a funny story about that. Is um, so, uh, like I said, we used to be in this group called uh, the the uh, Night Riders uh, that were on AOL, and so. Um, Several years ago, when Jana was going to her professional trade show conference, I called Exhibitor, that happens every year. It's kind of funny. It's a trade show for people who put Do on trade, trade shows, shows yep. right? Uh, and, uh, and also to brag on I've her son, Jana actually has the highest level certification you can have for doing trade shows. Oh, yeah. There are 10 people in the world that have her level of certification. Wow. So, yeah, um, I was, I was the eighth. It, it, it's basically something for when, besides your certification, you've contributed to the industry in different yeah. ways. So, so um, it's something that usually happens after you've been working a while. So, that's uh, that was nice to achieve. But uh, yeah, I had introduced Neil to a colleague of mine who's um, very well known in the meeting. She's more of a meeting planner person, but she's very well respected. Runs a blog and everything. And her name is Joan. And I had. Um, she gives really fun workshops, and at one we got like these little rubber duck things, and so I took a little pirate rubber duck home to Neil. So when I introduced Joan and Neil, I said, and she's the one, you know, your little pirate duck came from. And then later on Facebook a few years ago, she mentioned a writer whose last name was Bolitar. And I sent her a message, and I said, Joan... not a common name. Joan, back in the day, in America Online on the writer's chat, there was a writer whose screen name was Bolitar. And I said, and now that I think of it, when Neil and I got together, he told me there was another couple that met long distance through Facebook that he knew. And it was... AOL. AOL. And and it was um, Joan, and she married a guy younger than her named Joel, who liked comic books. And she's like... Why didn't we figure this out before? <laughs> and I said, because nobody knew what anybody looked like back then, and yeah. we were all screen names. But um, there was I a sh- lot of anonymity back then. Well, yeah. well I mean, yeah. her screen name had actually her na- had the name Joan in it. I mean, it, it shouldn't have been that hard to figure out. But I had met her, you know, professionally through this conference we both went to and, and teach at. But. I didn't realize, and so they've been. Well, the, the, the funniest thing was the fact that that she had gone to one year to, to before she'd made this connection. She'd gotten this pirate duck from one of the classes yeah. that was handed out, and so I had this duck sitting on my desk, which was a gift from somebody I'd known from AOL, but we did not yet know that each other was 
these, this other person. Um, and it was just surreal whenever that all kind of, you say, okay, you talk about it's a small world, and that's the point where like all my all of our world just kind of collapsed and say, okay, it's just surreal. People talk about the six degrees of separation, but I think in many cases there's really like two or three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Especially these days. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's, well, and it's very true in the computer gaming industry because people are all the time are asking about, do you know so-and-so? I said, I don't know so-and-so, but I probably know someone who knows so-and-so, mm-hmm. you know? And then, of course, here in the film community, it's, you know, just ridiculous about, you know, I can, like, swing around and hit a stick and, and somebody, you know, like, mm-hmm. name a star, and I know someone who's worked with them or done things with them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so so it, it's 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 still a lot smaller an industry, you know, than I think that most people really expect or, or you know. Plus, San Diego itself is, to me, like a series of small towns. There's uh, yeah. a lot of interesting yeah. connections. Even if you've not been here very long, people start making all kinds of interesting connections. Well, and that, gets, that gets back to one of those things I'm always saying. You know, be careful how you treat people. Oh, yes. Oh, that's very true. Because it will come back around. It yeah. always does. Yeah, I, I've, I've had that philosophy for a very long time. Uh, uh, because uh, you just never know uh, know who you're going to meet coming back the other way, and also too, it's just uh, I I'm not one of those people. Whenever I'm working on the set or whatever, I'm not going to be one of those people that yells and screams at you and kicks you or, or or whatever. Because it's just there's no point in that, you know. Because you're not going to get a good performance out of whoever you're talking to. And granted, sometimes there's a time constraint or there's something going on that you go, we have to do this right now, or, or you're or just whatever. working with Steve, or we've got to fix it. <laughs> No, we've got to we, fix something. We have to treat him that way just to keep him awake. <laughs> just kick him. Um, and, and I could tell talking to people when we were getting our crew together, cast and crew together for the case of evil, that some people have had difficult experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember saying to one person, I said, you know, I want to assure you, Neil and I will never yell at you. And then I said, and we also will not let anyone else yell at you. And this person said, that's what I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's... And and it's really, I wouldn't have blamed people if tempers had flared, because Swords and Circuitry Studios has kind of a bad history, whether we're doing a documentary or whatever. We have filmed in some of the hottest weather. And when we were filming in this old Victorian that was wonderful to shoot in, it was like the hottest part of the year. It was like early September, I think. It was the hottest part of the year. I Oh, I remember that. That's when I came, and it was like 100 degrees. Here, oh, well, 100, well, it's a long yeah. tradition, though, because I grew up in San Diego, and we would start school at the hottest time of the year when the Santa right. Ana winds. We'd be in our new little fall, winter school clothes or school uniforms, and we'd be baking. But anyway, not only was it hot where we were filming, there wasn't central air conditioning, but we couldn't even run a fan when we were filming because of the noise factor. There was one little room where we kept sending the actors that had a window air conditioner when, in between takes yeah. because we didn't want them to completely melt. But, you know, our actors were fully dressed and in layers keep, of costumes. And we had to keep Francia back there, too, because all of her makeup and we still oh, right. melt. So we had to make sure so so it was sort of the, mm. the green room for the actors and also, but it was kind of a small room and so trying to, and also that's where we had all our food for oh, the cast geez. stored back there too <laughs> and so this little tiny room yeah. and everybody's kind of huddling back there mm-hmm. or whatever everyone thinks it's so glamorous i love it mm-hmm. well it was but anyway people were wonderful they were real yeah. tubers i would actually have been very understanding if tempers had flared just mm-hmm. because of the sheer physical discomfort of it all and the long hours but everyone was wonderful and yeah. we got through it and it's it it was a really i mean you know the, some frustrating things because when you're doing things independent and you can't 
pay people except for with food and, and IMDb credits. You, you know, some people had to leave to go get children from school or things. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing, the things that happen are their jobs and such. So we had to work around that. But, um, but still, people were really wonderful, and we would not have. Um, had the film that we have if it hadn't been for our cast and crew. I can't say enough good things about them. And, Absolutely. Absolutely. And and also, we just have really such a wonderful film community here. Yeah. I, I, I uh, It was kind of funny because over various points of, of my career, basically whenever the game work hasn't been there, uh, in the past, I try to get it, get together with some other independent game people and say, hey, let's make a game. We've, you know, we've got the skills between us. And it was usually like, nah. It's too much work, or do you have any money, or whatever? Mm-hmm. And it was really frustrating because, like, holy crap, I've made <laughs> big games. We can do something really awesome if mm-hmm. we pull together and do this. And it's like, eh, whatever. And it was kind of funny because the first time we decided that we wanted to do something in film, we went to a San Diego filmmakers uh, uh, meeting. And, you know, we did the usual thing where they go around, they, they you know, say, what's your name? And have you stand up and say, yeah, yeah. you are and all that stuff. I like that. And so we got up uh, and did that. And we said, we're looking for some people. And at the end of it, we had like 10 or 15 people coming up and said, hey, I want to help you out. And I, and, and I said, well, we don't have any, ma- I don't care. Or, you know, I'll sleep, I'll, I'll sleep like in the yard or do whatever. <laughs> I'll just hold boom hole. And the, the filmmaking community has been amazing here in San mm-hmm. Diego. I mean, I just think we yeah. have some of the most cool people here in town i mean mm. granted some people's like i gotta make a living <laughs> you know or whatever and so some people you know they want to get paid and i don't blame them because film people by and large don't do their work in a cubicle yeah mm-hmm. no so they're, they're like hey i can be out doing something well, other than being in a cubicle and let's they're go expressives do it. Yeah. too yeah. they're expressives as yeah. opposed to a bunch of gamers that are all <laughs> you know, no and, and i definitely do want people to get paid for their work i'm glad that there are people in the area that are getting paying work and i'm glad there's you know that there's there's commercial work and such that can be done but i also hope we'll continue to have this indie spirit where people will help each other make films because part of we what we do the reason we do films is not just for ourselves but we want to help the people that we work with get to whatever their next step is mm-hmm. you know we never made the case of evil thinking okay this will bring us fame and glory but but i thought you know it's credit for certain people it's experience for certain people and you know even like with merrick he um he certainly has had work you know for television series and things and i do think his star is rising but he got to show a different side of what he can do Mm -hmm. because he's such a nice guy and he does look dignified that he's either cast as someone's best friend or is the mayor or a doctor and you know which is great i mean which is great those are those are good parts and he plays them well but he can do so much more Mm -hmm. exactly and so you know sometimes there can be something in it for even for someone who has professional experience and who Mm -hmm. who has things that, that pay well. So I, well, I hope we will keep that spirit of helping the indies yeah, grow. When we went to make a recency effect, uh, you know, one of my stated goals was I wanted to provide a, an acting experience that would give these actors something they could really sink their teeth into right. and potentially have something for the real. That was a very conservative effort on my oh, part. Oh, yeah, well, I, I, that's, uh, uh, for me, I don't think there's really any... There's nothing to offer for for your actors or your crew if you basically say, you know, we're just doing this for you know whatever. We're not going to try to make a good film, and we're not we're not really going to worry about promoting it. We're just going to make the film because uh, the one thing that we told everyone we we're doing Case of Evil says, okay, look, we're going to do the short. Now 
There's another filmmaker whose name I will not give, um, but who we've been on their set, and they would basically saying, you know, this is we're going to make a million dollars. You're all going to have trailers. You're going to blah 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 blah, yeah. blah and they just tell them these crazy stories about what's going to happen and, and everything else. And this individual has a very big heart, and they believe, I think, in their heart of hearts that this is going to be true. I'm exactly the opposite. I, I come from the land of under promise and over deliver. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and we basically said we're going to make a film. And I said, all I will guarantee you is that we're going to make a film. It may be great. It may be crap. Uh, uh, but the one thing I will guarantee you is I'm going to put every iota of my effort, time and effort into it, into making it as awesome as I possibly can. After we get done with it, I'm going to submit to every festival on the planet. And, and how many, fest- many, how many festivals did it so end up? So far, how many? Uh, 38 festivals so far. Internationally, uh, Internationally. So, wow. um, Our goal was 25. Well, there you so, go. So there we go. did good. Your goal was 25. I thought we'd get into 10. <laughs> I, see that. He said, he said he wanted to get into 10. I said, I think we can get into 25. And then as we got near 25, I said, I, I want at least 36. I want at least 35 or 36. Okay, so okay, overachievers. <laughs> well, no. No, that's, that's how I roll. Uh, I mean, it does, it's, I, and, and again, I, we wouldn't have gotten into all those if it weren't for the cast and crew. I mean, you know, there's some things you have to tell people, like, you know, to some of the people that are newer to all this we had to explain yes this is because they'd heard what we wanted to make and I said you know Neil had to say yes it's going to I'm going to add some things that'll make it look like older film but we're going to film this clean and we're going to have the audio clean you know let me be the one to mess it up we don't have to mm-hmm. you know it's 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 we have to be just as careful as if we're making this totally mint <laughs> and so you know you just have to let people know what the expectations are there but people yeah. were great the other thing too I tell everybody is said you know you guys are all my friends. I love you to death or whatever. But as soon as we roll cameras, mm-hmm. I want you to treat this as, as though we're paying you millions of dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the thing about it is, is that we will all get a better product and you will be much happier. Well, again, there's no point on. in doing it if we're not going to treat it exactly. respectfully. Right. You know, he says, exactly. he says, I make films for fun, but whenever I'm actually making the film, I'm completely dead serious about whatever I'm doing. Yeah, right. me too. And... Mm-hmm. And so uh, I said, just if you come in and you give me 110% of, of whatever is possible, uh, then I'm going to give you 300% back whenever we, whatever we have the film. You know, I, I could talk to you guys for Sorry. another two hours. Sorry. Um, we haven't even talked about Connor Rath. Um, but what is, what is next for you guys? Do you have What's a next? film that you're getting ready to work on? Well, um, so we, um, after we got done with The Case of Evil... Um, uh, as you can kind of tell, we really love the black and white stuff mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and also the retro stuff. And so the first thing that happened... Casablanca is my favorite film of all time. Oh, uh, well, uh, Casablanca, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, so mm-hmm, anyway, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so whenever we got done with Case of Evil, I said, OK, I have an idea of going the next step with this. So rather we did a short, it was 10 minutes. I want to do a full feature in the same style as the case of evil. It's nice. not, a, not a sequel to the, the case of evil, but it's done in that same thing. Same universe. The same, no. well, no. the same approach from the standpoint of, uh, from the same DNA, from the same DNA. And yeah. so basically uh, a period piece uh, you know, looks like it was shot in 1955. And, you know, again, not just the look we treat it as with a dialogue, the everything about it as if this was a film that was shot in 1955. So I sat down and I, I began hammering out uh, a, a, a treat. Well, 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 not a treatment. I started hammering out a script uh, uh, for uh, for the film, and it's about three fourths of the way done. Uh, but uh, the, the only problem about it is it's a feature length film. Um, 
And I'm looking at it going, okay, I don't know if I could actually sell this thing. You know, in terms of, because if you're going to go to feature, I think you need to be thinking about money. Yeah. Uh, Which means, uh, because it's it's a lot of work time and uh, uh, work and effort. And also, too, is I'm creating a time and place, which means I need to have cars and houses and costumes. I mean, uh, Case of Evil was a a bottle show. We were able to do it in one house in one, you know, it it takes place within 10 minutes real time of somebody's experience. But trying to sustain that over a whole thing, I just started freaking out about uh, our capability to do that right now. And, and so, Don't worry about what you can do right now. Yeah. Write so, it. Well, write well, it well then, I'm writing it right now. And then now. we'll so, figure it out. Well, well see, so, so, like I said, we, we got started on that. Um, I actually have cast one person for it, uh, and that's Caroline. Um, uh, and again, I can never say her name last, uh, properly. So she's the one ca- character that we've def- definitively cast for it. Uh, the title uh, character in it is actually for her character. Um, but there it's are not some Randy other Davison people. Davison or, or Merrick McCarthy? Uh, 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 I maybe. am uh, maybe. Okay. Uh, there are various people that we're going to be uh, looking at for other parts. But uh, I'm like I say, I'm kind of putting that off to the side right now because I'm worried about basically doing spending all of our time and effort on the next one and killing ourselves on something that is has made. I don't know how much saleability that project would honestly have. And so I have to be thinking about the studio and where we go from here. Because right. Case of Evil we made for free. We actually support a lot of money into it uh, for promotion and everything else. And, you know, tiny bit of money that's come back in, but not really anywhere near what we spent making it. No. Um, now, so, now, the thing that you would have going in your favor is uh, avenues like Netflix soak up horror flicks. Left and right. Yes, but we, well. we are not a conventional a horror movie got, by any. Yeah, but there's a lot of non-conventional horror films on Netflix. Yeah. Well, there's, so, st- there's still the the financing. There's, a possibility there's still there. the financing yeah. problem, and then the, it's not the only iron in the fire. So, there's other things so, so looking at online distributions such as Amazon Video, and, and it, it will they're they're throwing money at people mm. for yeah. for new ideas, and that's what they're looking for. So. What we've switched our gears for uh, for the moment is is that a script that I actually showed to Merrick before we actually did Case of Evil was actually the first time he actually thought, said, okay, I want to work with you guys, uh, is that I had written a script for what I, I term a weird western nice. uh, called Shadow Company. Uh, and it will be a television series pitch, basically. Um, and so uh, the, the kind of capsule for it is, is in 1966... Gene Roddenberry took the Western and put it in outer space. Right. Uh, and so in 2016, I'm taking the outer space uh, thing and I'm bringing it back to the Old West. Uh, and so it's imagine if you took Star Trek and the X-Files and you stuck them on the ground in Oklahoma right before the land run. Um, <laughs> and so we have all the sort of the things that are going on. So uh, things like Wendigos and other these sort of paranormal phenomena going on and it's all being looked over by the Buffalo Soldiers. Nice. Of course, uh, Merrick, of course, has agreed to be our captain for for the series. Cool. But, of course, so. we pick something that needs period things, uniforms, horses, all these things. But so. I can sell this. Yes, I, I believe you can. I believe you <laughs> can. No, no, that that um, one has... Well, I've been riding horses my entire life, so... <clears throat> Well, well, it is. It is a. It would be a, a great vehicle. It would for be America. amazing. It would be great. Oh, absolutely. I hope, we, I hope we can do it. And we have other ideas too, including our blues horror thing and yeah, some other stuff. Getting back to scratch and some other things. Ideas are never the problem. No, as no, no, no. Yeah. Well, guys, yeah. thank you so much for for sitting and chatting with us. I definitely want to have you guys back on because, like I said, we could talk for hours. You yeah. can invite us anyone, and we will well. talk far more than you can possibly want to take. <laughs> cool. Thank you guys well, so much. 
And thank and, you, guys. Thank and, you. And, uh, you know, uh, I look forward to your next endeavors. Please keep me updated on what you're up to. Will do. Because um, I'd love to work with you guys, and, too. Oh, uh, can I just throw in a plug quick? Thecaseofevil.com. And you can go rent it, or you can buy the DVD or, or Blu-ray. So check it out. Nice. What's the bit? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank All right. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.